vice president cancels his trip to Indy after he and his opponent hit the debate stage. This as the president continues to recover at the White House. And with coronavirus cases on the rise here in the Hoosier state, we're one-on-one -on -one with the candidates for governor. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. And good morning. We start with the latest from the White House, where President Trump continues to recover from COVID-19. At times this week, saying he's ready to come back to the campaign trail. The president spent three nights at Walter Reed and was discharged on Monday, leaving the hospital with a lot of questions still unanswered. President Trump removing his mask as he returned to the White House balcony, where he filmed the first of several videos declaring himself to be in good health after fighting the virus. You're going to get better. You're going to get better fast, just like I did. A lot of reaction to that and to some of the president's other comments on the virus that appeared to minimize the threat of COVID-19 at times. Meantime, a number of officials and White House staffers have tested positive after attending Amy Coney Barrett's nomination ceremony. Her confirmation hearings are scheduled to begin tomorrow morning in the Senate. But what about the next presidential debate? A lot of back and forth about whether it'll even happen with just three weeks now until the election. Meantime, this past week, it was the vice presidential debate between Senator Kamala Harris and former Indiana Governor Mike Pence, who canceled his trip to Indiana in the midst of a busy schedule on the campaign trail. Nikki Lorenzo has a recap of Wednesday night's debate. Vice President Mike Pence and California Senator Kamala Harris squaring off at the University of Utah's Kingsbury Hall. Divided by plexiglass 12 feet apart, a compromise as the White House deals with a COVID-19 outbreak. The 90-minute face-off in Salt Lake City starting out with the pandemic. How calm were you when you were panicked about where you're going to get your next roll of toilet paper? How calm were you when your kids were sent home from school and you didn't know when they could go back? How calm Thank were you, you Thank when you, your Senator children Harris. couldn't see your parents because you were afraid they could kill them? Pence, the head of the coronavirus task force, was pressed on the administration's response. Well, the American people have demonstrated over the last eight months that when given the facts, they're willing to put the health of their families and their neighbors and people they don't even know first. And President Trump and I have great confidence in, in the American people and, and their ability to take that information and put it into practice. Moderating the debate, USA Today's Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page challenged both candidates on several topics from transparency to the economy. We literally have spared no expense to help the American people and the American worker through this. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to raise taxes. Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. He has been very clear about that. All right, that was Nikki Lorenzo reporting from Salt Lake City. Now, this week, we got reaction to the VP debate from two of our political experts, UND professor Dr. Laura Wilson and Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org. Mike Pence's job was to defend uh, the administration's record. That was a little difficult, in my opinion, on the COVID-19 stuff. Uh, which was sort of the big issue, but his job was to defend uh, the president. Kamala Harris's job was to basically go after uh, the president at the same time, uh, promote Joe Biden, which I think she did for the most part relatively well. Although, like I said, for the most part, they didn't really answer the question. They kind of pivoted sort of uh, after Susan Page would ask. But for the most part, I thought they did what they need to do, which was basically do no harm. They did do a little bit of talking over uh, each other. Uh, Mike Pence did go a little long on some of his answers, but for the most part, uh, this is what a debate should look like. Uh, you had candidates, you had issues. Now, uh, did they answer the questions? Uh, that that kind of remains to, to be seen. But for the most part, at least from a, from a procedural, from a structural standpoint, 
th this is what a debate should have been, unlike the, the cluster truck that's truck that we saw last week with the president and Joe Biden. Obviously, this is a very different debate than what we saw between the two candidates for president last week. Oh, it is. And you see two much younger candidates, certainly a lot more agile. They're not easily shaken nor stirred. And I think they've both done a great job sticking to their talking points, focusing on the policy and the issues, and really showcasing what they would have to offer as the vice president with their administration. There were some moments, though, uh, where both candidates uh, sort of dodged questions early on and didn't really uh, answer the question posed by the moderator. They did. I, I thought in this case, both Harris and Pence looked like pros. Uh, they didn't answer the question that they were asked, but they asked answered, I should say, the question that they wish they were asked. Um, and I think for viewers, sometimes it is a little bit frustrating, but certainly if you're cheering for one side or another and, and for debate prep, that's kind of the ideal transition. And, and you saw both of them do it very successfully, uh, even if they didn't actually address that initial question that the moderator posed. It's possible these two candidates could meet on the debate stage in the future in a presidential race. Um, that's obviously the question they didn't answer was about um, th their running mates longevity. Um, but these two could be on the stage again down the road, perhaps in 2024. This could very well be a preview to that. And I, I think what you're seeing are, are certainly bright, shining stars within their respective parties um, and, and candidates that have a lot of potential long term. All right. Meantime, with coronavirus cases on the rise here in Indiana, the pandemic continues to be a key issue in the race for governor. This week, Governor Holcomb defended the decision to move to stage five despite these rising case numbers. He says it's crucial for businesses across our state to be open. It's so important that we're doing everything that we can to help them, to assist them um, so that they can stay open and those supply chains are still moving. We must do better. Indiana must do better for our friends, our family, and our neighbors. Indiana is one of a number of Midwestern states where the numbers have been headed in the wrong direction here in recent days. Meantime, this week, internal polling from the governor's campaign showing Holcomb with a significant lead. This is we bring you more of our interviews with the candidates for governor this week on the issue of education in our state. Here's Kayla Sullivan. Anyone that just says we need to just get throw more money at it is not looking at the whole picture. Incumbent Republican Governor Eric Holcomb says Indiana has moved north of 1.6 billion additional dollars into education. It already accounts for more than half of the state's overall budget, and he has assigned a commission to look for sustainable ways to increase teacher pay. For someone to say we need to do more, I'm, we're doing that. Democratic candidate for governor Dr. Woody Myers says he would do more and fast. As governor, I'm going to prioritize getting the salaries up. You know, there's a commission that my opponent refers to that's going to issue a report quite conveniently after the election. They've been working on this for two years. Libertarian Donald Rainwater says he wants to reduce the size and scope of the State Department of Education and leave decision-making power to the locals. He wants to abolish standardized testing, saying I-STEP and I-LEARN haven't worked out for Indiana. It is the citizens of the state of Indiana who should decide whether they want statewide standardized testing not the federal government. Dr. Myers says he'll leave standardized test decisions to those he appoints to that issue, but he does think the state should free up money by reconsidering school voucher programs for parents looking to send their kids elsewhere. If that's what they want to do, that's fine, but why should the taxpayer have to pay for that decision? That's what's wrong about it, uh, and I just think that, that we need to prioritize the funding of, of public education. I think these different 
um, venues co can complement and are complementing one another. I do not believe in doing away with vouchers. I believe that we need to look at the money that we're spending on education that isn't going to the classroom and make the Department of Education justify that money. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. Kayla, thanks. Meantime, Indiana's Republican state superintendent is endorsing another Democratic candidate this election year. Dr. Jennifer McCormick has already endorsed Woody Myers for governor. Now she says she'll also be endorsing Christina Hale over State Senator Victoria Sparts in the hotly contested 5th Congressional District. We'll be sitting down with both Sparts and Hale next week. You'll see portions of those interviews right here next Sunday and also on our election special later this month. And we're interested in hearing what you'd like to ask the candidates for Congress. Just go to fox59.com slash questions, and we may use your question on the air next week as we sit down with the candidates in the fifth. Well, coming up next, this Sunday in focus with COVID-19 numbers on the rise. Where are we as a state, as a nation, in the midst of this fight? We'll talk with our panel about the politics of this pandemic. Plus, with early voting underway, we'll talk about the large crowds of voters already hitting the polls here in Indiana. All right, let's talk with our panel now. Joining us this week, Jennifer Wagner, Robin Winston, Mike Murphy, and Tony Samuel. Jennifer, obviously the pandemic continues to be top of mind, both in terms of the impact it's had on the White House and also the rising numbers here in Indiana and elsewhere. Where are we as a state and a nation in this fight against COVID-19 after everything we've seen play out this past week? Well, we're still not in a very good spot, to be honest. Um, we've seen ups and downs since the pandemic started in March. And those ups and downs tend to largely correlate with the amount of social distancing and mask wearing that people are willing to undertake. I don't envy Governor Holcomb and the position he's in. He's got businesses that want to reopen. He's got libertarians who are mad about having to wear masks. But he also has to balance that against the needs of uh, our, our health and safety in this state. It would not surprise me at all if before Election Day we wind up going back down to stage four. Tony, I, I want to get your thoughts on everything we're seeing at the national level. Obviously, everyone is, is glad to see the president doing better, uh, but also a lot of discussion about the line from the president as he got out of the hospital. Don't be afraid of COVID. I, I imagine that line comes off uh, v very differently for people who've suffered greatly from this virus. Well, people have suffered, and, and the key with the president and all that he said is he's always said and sincerely means that one death is too many, and we've had uh, too many deaths, and the, the, the responsible party here is China. But the president coming out of the hospital, out of Walter Reed after just 72 hours, and showing his face to the American public, showing that he's back at the White House working, even though he worked all weekend, that was really important because this is a president of uh, positivity and optimism. And, you know, we hear a lot about the number of cases. We don't hear about the, the, the numbers of those that have recovered. In the U.S., over 5 million people out of the 78, 78 million have recovered. Uh, others are well on their way to the recovery. In Indiana, over 100,000 have recovered uh, out of the 131 that have it. And some of those in between are on their way to the recovery. The other thing that the president did, he highlighted Operation warp speed uh, with Regeneron, what he took to uh, an antibody treatment, uh, and also our own Eli Lilly is developing an antibody treatment, and a million doses of those are going to be ready. They need FDA approval, but those are the kinds of things, therapeutics as well as the vaccines that are on the way that the president has highlighted because he wants to show 
the American public that uh, there is uh, optimism uh, that, that's, that's needed. Too many businesses are shutting down, too much is shutting down, and we need to reopen America, and that's his uh, message. Yeah, let me move to Robin now. Robin, uh, your, your reaction, uh, what are your thoughts on the messaging from uh, the White House after everything that's happened these past couple of weeks? Well, Jennifer was right. I don't think it was good. I think it was bad. Um, we've got a lot of people that uh, Tony left out that are part of the White House staff that have all contracted COVID-19, uh, including members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who are the leaders of our military that have had to be quarantined. Uh, we still, in this state, we don't have a daily briefing anymore from the governor. We've gone over a thousand cases a day. And in the, in the effort, the warp speed that Tony mentioned to open up businesses, we also are seeing a warp speed in the number of people that are infected. I think this has got to be rational. I don't think it has to be emotional. And I think when we talk about over 210,000, maybe more, 216,000 Americans who have perished from this, we have a responsibility to listen to those who are the practitioners, the scientists that know what's best. So, no, I didn't think it was much of, a, of an effort. I think it was a show. Uh, the real reality is, is that we have to address this issue reasonably and rationally. Uh, Mike, uh, we also saw what, what happened uh, this past week in, in Michigan uh, with a, a militia group, uh, domestic terrorists, really, who were upset about COVID restrictions, indicted for a plot to kidnap and kill that state's governor. Absolutely. I think uh, we are closer to really horrific times than we've been since maybe the 1850s or 1860s. We remember some of those uh, revolutions before the Civil War even. I'm, I'm very uh, stunned, actually. I'm glad the FBI acted quickly. I'm a big fan of the FBI. And I hope that America, both Republicans and Democrats, realize we cannot let this type of uh, division polarization continue because some people will take advantage of it for their own means. And that's what we almost saw in Michigan this week. It's been uh, quite a year, no doubt. Let's, uh, let's change gears here and talk uh, about the debates. We don't know what we'll see in terms of the candidates for president after the events of the last couple of weeks. A lot of back and forth about that. We did see Vice President Pence and Senator Harris on stage last week. Jennifer, your thoughts first on how the running mates looked on Wednesday night. Well, they looked civil, uh, which was an improvement over the, uh, the prior clash of the presidential candidates. Um, I'm not sure we can call it a debate, though. We're, we're, either, we're either having uh, the kind of exchange we did between Trump and Biden, which was I, probably not something I'm allowed to say on TV. Um, and then you've got the vice presidential candidates, both of whom represented their sides very well, but delivered soliloquies. It wasn't really a debate. That said, I think Kamala Harris prosecuted the heck out of the Trump administration. And anyone watching her who happens to be my gender, and I cannot speak, I, my timeline's full of also like black women who were just like, yeah, no, this is what it feels like to continually be interrupted and, you know, cut off. And I just loved every moment of her politely putting the vice president back in his place. Uh, Tony, uh, your, your thoughts on what we saw at the debate? There were some ducks and dodges at times. Uh, I, I give you guys all kinds of credit here on the panel. You guys never dodge the question. You always uh, answer the questions as they're asked. What were your thoughts? Well, for one thing, Kamala Harris uh, spoke for three minutes longer than the vice president. And the vice president uh, wasn't rude. He was trying to get his point in, and, and, and he did wait. And then what he did was very smart. He uh, would go back to uh, a question that he wanted to answer that he didn't get to in the first place. And he would also uh, make sure that he made his point before 
uh, letting the moderator move on uh, to the next. And the points he made were great because he held, uh, he showed, he exposed what uh, the radical left uh, agenda is. You know, they're trying to uh, act like they're middle of the road now. We saw in the in the primaries that they're not, and and so the the vice president exposed them on on raising taxes, on their answer on fracking, on packing the courts, on all, all sorts of issues. I think he won, and I think he did a great job. Robin, your views on this debate, and does it move the needle at all with voters in a race where a lot of people probably have already made up their minds, if not voted already? Dan, I think it's already moved the needle. Uh, the addition of Kamala Harris to the ticket has helped us tremendously with with women. Um, once again, the vice president, I guess they're learning this now in the White House, the way to, to debate people is to cut them off mid-sentence and not let them finish their remarks. But that seems to be a trait both of the president and surprisingly the vice president. To go and remember, this man is the head of the COVID-19 panel. And uh, while people are standing in line right now at the city county building to vote, he's not coming back here. And it's my understanding that he's going to do a mail-in ballot, something that our governor will not let the people of Indiana do that should be able to do. They did it in June. So the debate, I think Kamala Harris uh, prosecuted the case very well. Jennifer is right. But this election is going to boil down to Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Okay. Uh, and we did, in fact, confirm he, his, he and his wife did indeed uh, request an absentee mail-in ballot instead of coming here in person to vote. Uh, Mike, your, your thoughts? We, we talked about it with Dr. Laura earlier. Could this indeed be the debate matchup for president in 2024? Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris. Well, we have a lifetime to live before 2024. In fact, we have a lifetime to live before uh, November 3rd, frankly. Um, the Republican field, whether uh, Trump wins or not, is going to be jam-packed with quality candidates in, for 2024. I can think right off the top of my head of eight or 10, any one of them would be a great president. So I think that to say this is the preview of 2024 is, is, is really advancing the ball down the field a little bit uh, too quickly. I thought Pence did a great job. I thought he won the debate. He was great on offense. She was defenseless in some points, particularly when he talked about ISIS. All she could say is what I guess any of us would say is, I'm so sorry. Um, and I, I really, on her on her behalf, though, I don't think she came off as a, as a you know, crazy radical socialist like people want to believe of her in some ways. I thought she came across as, as somewhat reasonable. I'd still give it to Pence. Okay, Mike, Robin, Tony, Jennifer, thank you all so much. We'll see you back here in a couple minutes for this week's Winners and Losers. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, Robin mentioned those long lines downtown. We'll take you there to show you the early voting already underway and the large crowds of voters already hitting the polls. Early voting is underway, and already we've seen large crowds of voters in the midst of this pandemic. Kayla Sullivan spoke with local voters about this very unique and very unusual election year. Need some water? Me and my father are going around and passing out waters and chips to help people get through this long day of voting. Long day, we're gonna get through it. We're gonna get through it together. What would be the maximum amount of time you'd be willing to wait to cast your ballot today? Whole day. Uh, absolutely. I, I'd I'd be here until until 5 or 6 o'clock at night if I had to be. Robert Plank ended up standing in line for more than three hours to vote at the city county building. People have gotten a little bit closer than I would have liked, but but uh, we're outside, so it should be fine. Just about everybody is wearing a mask. In fact, I don't see anybody who's without a mask down here. When voters go inside, they'll find finger covers and glass barriers. 
masks are mandatory and workers sanitize stations between voters. The long lines weren't limited to Marion County. Voters reported similar experiences throughout the state. Real reflection of just the high level of anxiety that voters are having about this election. They've heard so many uh, pieces of misinformation and disinformation about uh, voting by mail. Do you think there's any danger in voting early? Like if something were to change your mind, an October surprise of some Nothing's kind? Nothing's going to change my mind. Nothing's going to change his mind. Nothing's going to keep us from coming back right after this with this week's Winners and Losers. Stick around. The Colts head to Cleveland today to take on the Browns. You can watch the game on CBS4, part of a doubleheader that starts with the Colts' blue zone after Face the Nation, then the Chiefs and Raiders, followed by the Colts and Browns at 425. Fox 59 is the Steelers and the Eagles at 1 o'clock. All right, our panel is back now with this week's Winners and Losers. Tony, I'll start with you. Definitely the vice president for his performance in the, in the debate. Mike Pence did a great job of showcasing the accomplishments of the Trump administration over the last four years and the, the vision for the future while exposing the, the radical left agenda and the, the lies, quite frankly, that, that the Biden-Harris uh, ticket is, is, uh, is, is saying to the, the world right now. Jennifer. So my winners are only winners, Democrats and democracy. I think Kamala Harris did an absolutely smashing job prosecuting the Trump administration at the debate. And it just warms my heart to see uh, those voter lines outside the city county building and in other counties. It's democracy in action and your vote counts. A lot of people voting. Mike? Winner has to be the FBI. They stopped a kidnapping against one of our, our nation's governors. They're protecting us even when we don't know it. And the loser has to be whoever's idea it was to have that medicine so show, sideshow medical exam of the president on Friday night. Robin. Uh, the winners have to be Frank Wright, who has stood with his players by taking a knee uh, during this season. The, other, the loser to me are the people that believed in Donald Trump's uh, effort to liberate Michigan and want to storm the state capitol and take over government. Okay, thank you all for being with us this week. We appreciate it. Much more coming up on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.